Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as editor of The Fanatic, you know, PW's newest uh, twice-a-month newsletter on, on comics and pop culture. But um, But what we're here for today is to get a talk with a guy that I call the hardest-working man in the comics publishing business. Um, it, it, the illustrator, pioneering syndicated cartoonist, pioneering self-publisher, uh, dad, and uh, right now, uh, and one of the big things that we're going to talk about uh, during this podcast, author of New Kid, a new middle grade graphic novel just out from HarperCollins, Jerry Craft. Thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure. Great. Well, it's it's a pleasure to have you on, brother. You are a an institution. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, you are, and uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna talk about all the reasons uh, why I say that uh, okay. during this podcast. But um, you know, one of the main things we're gonna talk about uh, is New Kid. Uh, really, I mean, this is your first book with a major publisher. I mean, you're known for you, you you're known for not letting the maybe the lack of a mainstream publisher keep you from getting your books into the hands of those who want it. But this is a uh, interest where you're working with a major publisher. Uh, the book is getting great reviews. It got to start reviewed in PW and elsewhere. Um, and and the theme of the book is, is something that you've done so well in so many of your other books, where you you seem to have taken your experiences and life lessons, your father yourself, and translated them into these really entertaining and funny situations that are instructive, you know, without being like overbearingly didactic. So that's my quick synopsis of New Kid. But it's, you know, it, it's really about a, a young black kid who's facing new experiences as he goes off to school. So is that a good summation of it? And how would you describe it? I am taking you on the road with me. That, that, <laughs> that is great. Yeah, you know, um, it, it it is, as you said, a, you know, a long time coming. So mm -hmm. I had self-published for 100 years. You know, 2014, I illustrated the Zero Degree Zombie Zone for Scholastic. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing I had ever done for a major publisher. Mm -hmm. And now with this uh, through HarperCollins. So, yes, this is the the I guess the breakout book, the the big book. Yeah. Um, but, yes, definitely uh, the story loosely based on my life mm -hmm. as a kid, but also that of my two sons. Right. Uh, so I, I lived this story first as uh, myself going mm -hmm. From Washington Heights in New York City to a school in Riverdale called Fieldston. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I moved to Connecticut and we sent my sons to private school in New Canaan, Connecticut. Yeah. So I got to see it again as a father sending my two sons there and seeing how some of the nuances had changed. Some had had gotten better, some had gotten worse and just different things like that. So that's everything that I had to to build off of, to put in new kid. Well, the book comes along, I think, at a really um, important time, I think, in kind of the larger American pop culture, certainly in American book publishing. I mean, the cry for diversity uh, in books um, is uh, has been a long time coming. Um, uh, and, and one of the things, I mean, I mean, inclusiveness and um, uh, thoughtfulness and reaching and trans not so much transcending cultures but 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 recognizing them this seems to be a big element in this book as as the the new kid or uh tries to like navigate through all of these new experiences new expectations maybe a little um you know some blind spots uh some cultural blind spots um uh it's really exciting to see uh, uh particularly an author like you who's been working in this area uh, for many years to really get a, a book by a major publisher that's getting out and, and getting in the hands of fans. And from what I can see from the photos on Facebook, <laughs> the fans are turning out. Yeah. You know, it is, uh, it's interesting because, um, you know, like I always did well in school visits, but you know, whenever I would do like a, a bookstore signing, mm -hmm. that was hit and miss. I mean, there were times where, the only people that opened up the door to come into the store were like the FedEx guys right. <laughs> or something like that, you know? And it was like, oh man, this is painful. 
But um, I've had some signings now, like up at Jeff Kenny's store, up uh, in Unlikely Story. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Belmont Books. Yeah. Jeff Kenny, uh, the, the uh, author of Wimpy Kid, the Wimpy Kid series, has a bookstore himself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, North Shire Books in Saratoga that have been like packed. Yeah. And that is that is definitely a new experience, uh, something that I had never experienced until this, you know, the book came out February 5th. So mm-hmm. I'm, it's basically just about a month old. So a lot of this stuff is still very, very new. And, and, and we were speaking about this a little bit before the podcast began. You get, you, you've become a celebrity author too, hanging with Kobe. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Harper, Harper Collins is sending me some really cool places, you know? Yeah. So, um, I met Kobe at, um, we were at Winter Institute. In, oh, right. Oh, great. Yeah. 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 The, the booksellers, uh, sort of, uh, convention, training right. institute, publicity platform. Right. Yes. And so that was Kobe in, Bryant, in case there's somebody who doesn't know what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> and that was in New Mexico. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, got to talk to him for a little bit and then, you know, I gave him a copy for his kids. Great. And asked if I could take a picture with them. And then next, you know, he held the book up. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't even know because I was you know, a little nervous. Hey, and I <laughs> Black Mamba's like hyping right. your book. I love it. <laughs> right. and, I, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I nervously went and opened up the picture to see if it was cool. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know he had held up the book. Wow. I was like, oh, Kobe, thank you. There you yep. go, man. Well, Absolutely. another milestone for you in a in a in a career of milestones. But you know what I want to do right now? I want to jump back in time. We're going to return to talking about New Kid and okay. and the book and you know the themes that you bring to bear on it. But let's talk a little bit more about your background. And now you you did mention you grew up. You're a New York City kid. You know yep. you grew up in Washington Heights. Yep, I was um, born in Harlem. Did you always I, want to be a cartoonist? Was that an early? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, you know, I've always loved to draw. I don't know if there was even a second thing, you know, uh-huh. like, <laughs> like it was just drawing. Yeah, that was and, it. Um, so when I, I wanted to go to art school, like uh, art and design and music and art. Mm-hmm. And the only term that my parents knew related to art was starving artists. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Like, <laughs> you know, they were like, nope, not going to, not going to happen. So instead of going to one of the art schools, they end up sending me to Fieldston in Riverdale. Uh-huh. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, my neighborhood was 99% African-American. Mm-hmm. My schools were, you know, my eighth grade graduating class was maybe 25 kids, of which 22 were African-American. Sure. You know, and now they send me to Fieldston and it's like there are 110 kids in the class. Ten of them are African American, wow. and half of them, because they had been in Fieldston their whole school career, we didn't really have much in common. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So that was the first time I had met other black kids that I had nothing in common with. So in in certain instances, I had more in common with middle class white kids. Yeah, you know, part of the same socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting to hear. Of course, so these are also things that are repeated in New Kid in the book. Right. Yeah. And so so that was why, because I actually lived that, I was actually Mm -hmm. able to see that. And but you know, again, I didn't want to dog anyone for being a certain way. Like I don't come after, you know, like there's a character Maury. Yes. um, that um, you know, they call him Morio because it rhymes with Oreo because right. they tease him that he's not black enough. And right. I, I didn't want to pick on anyone like that. I wanted to give Maury a right to exist. I wanted to give Jordan Banks, the, the protagonist, a right to exist, and his friends from around his block a right to exist. In know? fact, well, that's one of the things I want to talk about you when we jump back to the book because of the complexity that you bring to this whole issue of 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 not. Uh, presuming, not uh, 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 relying or defaulting on generalizations about maybe communities and certainly individuals uh, before you've gotten to know them. So you really do. You 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 really scan through all of your character, your cast to see you know uh, uh, how their social status and cultural status actually complicates their relationships with everybody, including right. those people within their own groups. 
So, right. but let's jump back to you again. And okay, okay you wanted to, you, you 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 ended up going to you know, born in Harlem, yeah. right? Grew up in Washington yeah. Heights yeah. to some extent. Went to yeah. uh, this private school. Now yeah. you're out of school, and I think uh, and I wrote a piece about you a couple years ago, and I know you were yeah. working at King Features. Yes. So that's one, that's certainly one step for any cartoonist to get close to King Features. Right. So first <laughs> of all, thank you, Calvin Reed, because you have been uh, reading my story before there was even a story. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I really appreciate it. So, yes, a few years ago. Um, so I had come up with a comic strip called Mama's Boys. Yes. And that was my big thing. I either wanted to be syndicated daily or have books, you know, Mama's Boys books, um, because I always wanted to do stories with African American protagonists that that kind of gave lessons and, and mm-hmm. stories, but that weren't really um, not sad. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, not, not sad, and you know, and not just hitting people over the head with a message. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you've always been able to combine entertainment with, like, you know, um, information, you know, and with a yeah. little wisdom. <laughs> right. I, I don't want. I don't want anyone to, to leave reading New Kid or Mama's Boys and be like, "Oh, I feel awful." You yeah. know, <laughs> that that pit in their stomach. And I mean, there there are authors who do that really well. I mean, there are some amazing books out now, and I think that we have even more. Um, that have been highlighted and, and award winnings and, and that's great, but that's not what I do. Like I always wanted to bring a sense of humor mm-hmm. to it. So adding even diversity within the diversity. Sure. Yes, a- absolutely. Oh. Right. And, uh, and you know, I, you know, my little quick intro that I gave, you know, I mentioned that you're a pioneering cartoonist and, 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 and Mama's Boy is what's obviously is why I said that, you know, and we're going to talk about that a little bit too, because I mean, Mama's Boy is one of the, one of the earliest, you know, black newspaper strips that I remember. I mean, obviously, um, you know, We Pals actually earlier right. and that, and, there it is, jump you know, start. And, yeah. but you know, um, you know, I remember what that first time I saw Mama's Boys, um, you know, set in a black community. Um, uh, so tell us a little bit about getting it started, how you got your started and how you became a syndicated cartoonist, a tough hurdle for anybody. And it's certainly for black cartoonists. Right. Okay. So when it came time to go to college, I was able to make my own decision mm-hmm. and I went to school of visual arts in New York city. Oh, okay. Um, you got to your art school. <laughs> I got to my, I finally got to my art school. <laughs> But I was never able to take a cartooning class because they had legendary instructors like Will Eisner, Harvey yeah. Kurtzman, and they filled up like, you know, yeah. 4 a.m. People were online for those. So um, I ended up uh, majoring in advertising and advertising copyright. So I never took a single cartooning class. Really? That's wild. <laughs> never. Uh, I always wanted to, but could never get in. So then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do advertising and mm-hmm. copywriting. Um, so then, as with most things that I tried, uh, the ad business went basically down the drain in the 90s. Yeah. And everyone got fired and was looking for jobs. So I was like, you know, time to do that art thing. Um, so I uh, found a woman named Barbara Slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, pioneering female cartoonist. Yes. Oh, yes, of course. Her, um, yes. Yeah, Barbara Slate. Mm-hmm. And she gave me my first job in comics. Um, uh-huh. Barbara, for those of you that don't know, uh, she did a groundbreaking comic for DC called Angel Love. And she had a character, Miss Liz. And then when I met her, she needed me to do some backgrounds. Uh, there was a Marvel for a while had done a, um, a, Girls, they were doing comics for girls, and mm-hmm. they did a series called Sweet Sixteen, which is like Archie set in ancient Rome. So I would do like the backgrounds and some of the characters. Cool. And you know, she did all the heavy lifting. I did yeah. the. You know. And then we did New Kids on the Block, mm-hmm. which I uh, also did the backgrounds and some of the characters. And then um, a graphic novel. So this is probably one of the first graphic novels. This is Yuppies from Hell. Yeah. She, See, I don't know this. This is all interesting. I this I, I didn't know. Yep. Okay. Um I did I helped her. I was the assistant on um 
I think it's called Sex Lives and Mutual Funds of the Yuppies from Hell. <laughs> um, so that was like either the second or the third in that series. Uh-huh. What and, year was this? What, what, what year do you think this is? Oh, this is like 91. Okay. And then um, I saw that King Features had been looking for an intern. Hmm. And even though I was you know, a little too old to intern, but I wanted to get into King Features, because Jay Kennedy, who was the head of the, the comic art department, um, he had reviewed Mama's Boys mm-hmm. and sent me a really nice note. Like, hey, this is really cool. Keep it up. Cool. So when I saw that he was looking for an intern, I was like, okay. So yeah. I applied and I got that. Yeah. Okay. And and I, I went from one day a week to three days a week to full time. And then I started using my copywriting skills to write like brochures. So mm-hmm. like... Mallard Fillmore first came out. I wrote the brochure for that, yeah. you know, brochure for Tiger and some of the new strips. Cool. Yeah. And then um, I worked with Paul Hendricks, who was the only black comics editor, comic strip editor in the mm-hmm. business. And he helped me to hone Mama's Boys. Uh, Ray Billingsley helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Curtis. And then I ended up getting it in the, King Features Weekly Service. So that was like a weekly collection of comic strips and, you know, stories and uh, horoscopes and things like that that went to like 950 papers around cool. the country. Uh-huh. Yep. And, you know, and that was that because I had self-syndicated for a while. I don't know if you remember the City Sun out of Brooklyn. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah. But I, I was in there for maybe three years and then uh, built up all the clients. And then when I got into King Features... I was there for maybe like 20 years in that weekly service. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and now, at a certain point, you decided you wanted to do book collections of Mama's Boys. Yes. Yes. So in 1997, I sent out um, a couple of dummy copies to different publishers around the country. And the response... Couldn't have been worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just like, dude, you know, you might as well be at Walmart. I mean, like some were form letters, but I remember uh-huh. one, one person took the time to, to handwrite a note at the bottom uh-huh. of my rejection list. I was already rejected, right. but that, that wasn't good enough. He was like, look, we're not interested in this black sitcom style of humor and I was so, um, so. You're only interested in white sitcom humor. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's what he's saying, really. <laughs> right, but I didn't even think of that as sitcom humor, you know, because Mama's Boys is a mom mm-hmm. with her, raising her two teenage sons. They run a bookstore, mm-hmm. so there's some literacy themes, there's some health themes, there's like nuances. It wasn't like like uh good times it wasn't like you know yeah, no. the characters went around like dynamite and you jive turkey and all that but that was how they saw it yeah and when i realized that that's how they saw it i literally gave up on ever being published traditionally mm-hmm. and i started my own publishing company and i published my first book mama's boys as american and sweet potato pie mm-hmm. 1997 uh-huh and just went around the schools and book fairs. And then I published, uh, you know, by then I was working at Sports Illustrated for Kids. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. I published my second book in um, 2007. That was Mama's Boys Homeschooling. Mm-hmm. I published a third. And then other people started coming to me and saying, hey, can you help me publish my book? Because I can't get published either. And that's literally what I've been doing for the last 21 years is... Uh, publishing either my own books or helping people that can't get published. I would mm-hmm. illustrate it, design it, proofread it, and publish their books. And I mean, what, uh, just to jump back to the beginning of uh, my various introductions of you, when I you know, not only were you a pioneering syndicated car business, but you were a pioneering self-publisher. You were doing this stuff before the kinds of technological platforms and the convenience uh and even before i guess print on demand technology right. was ubiquitous 
where it's uh, – I mean, it's a, so much of an easier way to self-publish now than it was back in the day when you started. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing was the quantities. You had to order. Like when I ordered my first Mama's Boys, I ordered 2,500 copies. So, you know, you would have to make uh, a financial investment, five, $6,000 in order to do that. And then, you know, you had to have a place to store them. Yeah, because you're going to have to deal with those books. Right. Right. Um, so it wasn't like now with print on demand where you can order 10 copies and yeah. mm-hmm. if they don't sell, you just go back to your job and you're, you know, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. But, and also uh, people can buy them online. They can be drop right. shipped directly to them. You, you, right. you can like, you never have to see a crate of books ever. Right. And, and your books can still be for sale. Right. Yeah. But me, I, you know, I was like Santa Claus going around with a big sack of books yeah. and, you know, <laughs> Hey, check it out! Check it out! Check it out! Two dollars! Two dollars! Well, that's <laughs> you, know? you know that was that was what self publishing was at one time. I mean, it was Absolutely. books in your trunk and going to events. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and so that's what I did. Like I said, for twenty one years, and there weren't a lot. I mean, Wade and Cheryl Hudson mm-hmm. have been doing it longer than me, yes. and they, they've really created a nice little thing with just us books. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, they're mm-hmm. a, a significant. You know, publishing force now, Absolutely. without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, Paul Coates uh, also, as a uh, indie black publisher, mm-hmm. yes. done an amazing job. Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, but I and I, but I also want you to say a few words about um, uh, the Offenders, which was your prose middle grade yes. novel, and which you also self published. And yes. so, tell us a little bit about that because once again, this is—I uh, th- think this all leads perfectly into New Kid and the kinds of of stories and lessons that your characters and and your books tell. Well, it was cool because as the more I self-published, the more opportunities came. So I even got um, my comic strip. I was like the official comic strip guy of um, um, Chicken Soup for the African American Soul. So that's yeah. why I met. Lisa Nichols. That was one mm-hmm. of her first. Cool. Um, That's a huge series, but go on. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then Lisa Nichols has become, you know, the next Oprah basically mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Um, so with the offenders, I had hel- I had illustrated a book called Khalil's way for David Miller, who's a great guy. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was about a kid named Khalil who was the target of bullies. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you know what? Let me take a bullying story and flip it around. So instead of someone that is the target of bullies, I'm going to make the stars the bullies. Mm-hmm. Right? So five kids who are kind of the, the bullies of the school. They get zapped. They get superpowers. But instead of looking cool like Spider-Man or Black Panther or Storm, they look like the kids that they pick on. So one mm-hmm. kid gains like 50 pounds. One gets super, super tiny, like six inches tall. One yeah. gets thin, super smart. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And my sons were in middle school at the time, and I would read it to them, and they started getting a real critical ear. And one day, my oldest son, Jay, was like, Dad, read that back. And I read back a part, and he said, Nah, no kid would say that. Ah. Yeah, I'm like, how do you know what a kid would say? You're just a kid. (laughs) He says, I'm a kid. I know what kids say. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I, I said, look, I'm going to make you guys co-authors. I'll put your name. I'll put your picture in the back. And, you know, I need your video game references because I didn't want to write and have, hey, Bobby, come over to my house to play Atari and have yeah. some kid go, oh, Dad, what's on. Atari? <laughs> you know, and then also, you know, like when you and I went middle school, we didn't have Facebook and yeah, nope. Twitter and all that. So it's a whole different dynamic. So they helped out with that. And then um, when they got a little older, when Jeff Kenny opened up uh, an unlikely story, we were literally some of the first authors to ever sign oh, at great. his store. Yeah, mm-hmm. so me and Jay and Aaron went up there and signed, and it's still a pretty popular book. Yeah, great. Oh, this it's is great. What I had done up until New Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, and, and, and I just wanted to 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 give our listeners a sense of, you know. Um, how you built your career because I mean if there's anything if I mean obviously you had people to help you every step of the way but you you, you know you really uh, you know I mean I think that's one of the things you come away people that know you 
that you know you're so determined uh you fi- you know you figure out what you need to do and you do it if you don't have a talent you figure out how to get it um but it's always been about getting your storytelling your stories out um and getting stories in that that you know that include community this black community very often that right. you know doesn't that isn't in the stories or at right. least when we were kids it was right. harder and harder to find hopefully uh, and thanks to authors like you, it is changing. Now, let's jump back to New Kid and give us a little introduction. We've chatted about it a little bit. Get us a little bit of introduction into to what New Kid is about and, and the principal characters. Okay. So the main character is Jordan Banks, who mm-hmm. is a 12-year-old kid from Washington Heights. So he wants to be an artist. His parents don't want him to be. Yes, there you go. Oh, yep. <laughs> So they, instead of going to art school, they sent him to Riverdale Academy Day School in Riverdale, New York. So now, like me, he's one of the few kids of color, um, in his entire grade. Yeah. So he does meet, there's like one other African American kid, uh, Maury, who he meets, but he has nothing in common with Maury. They're literally from two different planets. Because uh, Morris' dad is like a five hundred, a Fortune five hundred right. CEO. Oh, right, right. You know, Absolutely. so um, and it's very interesting. But go on, go on. Right. Um, and then he meets Drew, who um, lives in the Bronx, mm-hmm. uh, in Co-op City. I have I didn't mention in the book, but in the next book, I specifically say Co-op City. Cool. Um, so this is a series. This new kid a series. Oh yeah, I ah. signed up for two. I signed up for two more. Oh, you got cool. I did not know that. Okay. Oh, this is scoop. I signed up for two more. Um, New Kid 2, which is Class Act, is scheduled for release um, fall of 2020. Cool. All right. Yeah, so that's soon. So I may need you to help ink some panels. And we'll work on Hey, there you out. go. I'll, yeah. I'll pitch in. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. So he's got – he lives with his mom and his dad. So it was very important for me to have a full family. Mm-hmm. There for this African American boy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then also, uh, like me, you know, he's uh, light skinned with straight hair, and so I also want to have him where he has a little bit of it can be tough around his neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, because he's small, he's light skinned, straight hair, speaks a certain way. So when they kids find out he goes to private school, that's what they call him. Yo, private school, where you going, man? Yeah. You know, or how come you talk like that? Or how come, you know, so he's not just a fish out of water. He's a fish out of two waters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the kids from around his block and then the kids, you know, sometimes like being two white for the black kids and two black for the white kids. Yeah. No, this is true. So he is just kind of out there, you know, trying to stay true to himself and, you know, find his direction. Now, he's plopped down into this really different social setting. But what and and as you described here, um, there there are there are some other uh, kids of color who have all who are also going to the school and dealing with culture shock a little bit. Um, but what we find out, just as you're saying, is that there are differences between the kids of color that they have to navigate, and if it's not necessarily a cultural trend, it's their personalities. Um, right. So you really set up uh, a really interesting social network in the book. But but tell us a little bit about. Um, dealing with, say, the teachers? Okay, so the teachers, um, you know, there is a, and and I'm going to use, like, quotes and stuff from Twitter because my following on Twitter is, like, amazing with this, the stories that people are sharing. Great. So they, um, and these are a lot of white female teachers mm-hmm. who see my character, Miss Rawl, as, like, Oh my God. Yes, she is well meaning, but she is probably doing more damage than she is good, doing good. And it made me stop and rethink my approach to dealing with kids. You know, and that to me is an amazing thing because that's starting, that's initiating some type of change, you know. Um, so the reason why, just to jump in. Miss Raw, your character, you could say she's guilty of, you know, what I guess what the word people use are microaggressions. Right. Uh, this inability sometimes, for instance, to recognize different 
black kids, different African American kids, or kids right. uh, 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 that are different that are not the same kids. She m- m- misnames them, right? And it becomes a running and kind of unfortunate theme in uh, in terms of her personality, right? And yeah. literally misnaming by calling some of the black kids by the wrong names, yes. you know, not taking time to, you know, not only um, see the nuances, but also like to, okay, so for example, um, a white kid, a lot of times, a boy specifically, can be seen as he's confident and he's proud and he takes what he wants and he goes after and those are all complementary terms mm-hmm. where a lot of times the same version of a black kid that has all those same characteristics might be seen as, oh, he's not confident. He's cocky. Yeah. He's got swag. He's yeah. got this. So instead of I'm going to help him like I help the white kid, I'm going to tear him down. I'm going to knock him down a peg because he's too cocky, mm-hmm. you know. He's, he's too there. So let me, let me take away some of that power from him to have him go in line with everyone else. So those same kind of things aren't embraced. And those were some of the nuances and microaggressions and, and things like that, that I wanted to capture. Um, you know, even taking the time to not realize the kid's name and call him by the correct name. Sure. Uh, even faculty members calling black faculty members that have been there fourteen years by the wrong name. Hey, coach, I hope I hope you win tonight. Like, yeah, I'm I'm not. Yeah, that's a um, that's a really great scene from the book. Those are things that I saw firsthand mm-hmm. um, because, it, like I said, I saw it not only as a student going through it, but then I saw it again as a father of two sons. Yeah, would live that. Yeah. So this is like 30 years of life experience that I was able to put into this 256 page. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there, there is a, there's a, and this is another example of how, how you use humor in that too, because there is that instance where I believe it's that Jordan is complaining about how names are forgotten, you know, how names are confused about the black kids. And yes. he's talking to this black professor when the coach, when someone comes by and says, calls him coach. And he right. says, I'm not coach. <laughs> and as he leaves, I think Jordan says somebody, yeah, the, uh, Mr. Professor's having problems fitting in. Problems and, you know, with... he's only been here 14 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, if you can, if you can remember ice, double latte, cappuccino, frappuccino, blah, 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 <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, right. blah, you know, you can remember that that's Drew, not DeAndre, yeah. you know. Um, um, Let's see. Now, there's also obviously we talked also about the kids, even sometimes kids who mean well, but do, but maybe are, are doing the wrong thing. You you, you know, and you also mentioned I, uh, one of the things that happens in the book is how the teachers sort of cavalierly mention financial aid, and somehow that can put certain kids in, at a disadvantage socially. Yes, um, you know, so there were a lot of things that I think one of the benefits. Um, that my kids had that I didn't. My my parents, you know, the old school parents, were just so happy that I got into a school like Fieldston. They they just like pushed me into the swimming pool, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, we'll see you in four years," you know. Whereas I had the benefit of having lived that, so I would tell my sons things like, "Listen, everyone's going to think you're on financial aid, or if they say financial aid." Or if they say Black History Month or civil rights, don't be surprised if everyone turns and looks at you. you. <laughs> yes. Right. You know, and that's what happens. You know, yeah. they just turn and instinctively stare at, you know, stare at the black kid. Yeah. Yeah. And so I told them that was going to happen. And one day my youngest son comes home and he's like, hey, dad, it happened. Like, what? So dad <laughs> said, All right. You know, it's February 1st. It's Black History Month. We're going to study, you know, Martin Luther King. And everyone turns and looks at me. Yeah. yeah. So, well, how do you feel? I said, yeah, I just laughed. <laughs> you know, but another kid who is not as prepared could be traumatized. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, uh, at a certain point, um, Jordan's parents, who are obviously very 
you know, gung ho on him being at this school. Um, at, at a certain point, at least the dad, he's, he's a little bit worried about whether he's like, um, you know, assimilating too much. Right. And there's a very funny sequence in there. And I should also say that, you know, Jordan is an aspiring cartoonist and you use what I think you would call his, his comics or his, his mm-hmm. sketches throughout the book to kind of inform the story and also to give his per- perspective. And there's, a, there's a very funny sequence, I think later in the book where dad's trying to make sure that, uh, you know, he's, he's solified or he's become too private school. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, and, and those are, um, those are, Dilemmas that I don't know if other cultural cultures have to go through. Yeah. So in theory, the American dream, you know, you work hard, you do this, you get the house, you move to the suburbs, you have this, you got the schools, the car, boom. And that's everyone claps. But, you know, sometimes when, you know, you, you grew up in the hood, and you do that, then, oh, you're a sellout. Yeah. You know, like, like there are limits. Like, oh, well, how come you talk that way? You talk like a white guy. Yeah. How come you do this? How come you went on vacation there? How come you did this? You know, so it can be a very isolating thing. Like, there are vacations I've taken, and you look around, and I remember um, I had gone to Tahiti for my honeymoon, and my wife and I walking and this car goes by, stops short, backs up. And we're like, OK, are we about to be robbed or what? And this black couple comes out and runs and basically just hugs us. Like, <laughs> like oh, my God, another black family. <laughs> we're so happy. Because sometimes when you do things along a certain level, it's very isolating. You don't see people that look like you. Yeah. And so... You know, I'm sure that in the publishing, some of the things that you're still the new kid, you know, you walk in. Well, absolutely. (laughs) You feel like Jordan Banks when he went to the cafeteria and he shrinks down like he's six inches. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, You know, as I go to, you know, uh, when I went to um, Winter Institute, you know, it was me and Kobe. Yeah, right. (laughs) As far as African-American men, you know. Um, definitely in book publishing on the professional side, you right. can feel like a new kid almost every day. Yes. Yes. Um, so when I see Kwame Alexander or yeah. Eric Velasquez or Jason Reynolds, I, you know, it's that yeah. same. Oh my God. And you want to go up and give him a hug. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I should say it is changing. I mean, we yeah, are in a period absolutely. now of real and kind of striking and dynamic change. Um, but yeah, uh, but, but, uh, in the book, um, I, I think Jordan's dad goes, uh, just tries to make sure that things don't get too far in one direction. And I think there's some really funny sequences about celebrating Kwanzaa and listening to soul music right. and making Jordan watch 12 years of slave. <laughs> That's yeah. He just, he just wants to protect his son's blackness because yes. he doesn't want him to all of a sudden be like, Hey dad, let's play some golf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, let's go do this. And. You know, as an African-American male, especially in that community, because the dad runs the local community center, you know, he can't have his son going around in the pink shorts and the khakis and, you know, father, you know, can we go and do blah, 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 you know. So he really, that one Christmas vacation overcompensated to make sure that, you know, uh, his son kept his black card. So grounded, yeah. But really, the, uh, the uh, I mean, what's wonderful about this this book is that it, it, it that all of these life lessons are are sprinkled among these really entertaining stories of him of him trying to you know navigate through this new world as well as his friends. I mean, in this in that sense, it's also the core of the book is a, a traditional middle grade book. It's like you know, as you're growing older, learning to navigate in the world, learning how to uh, learning how to make decisions for yourself. And to judge, or I shouldn't say maybe judge isn't the best word, but how to come to understand uh, friends and to create new relationships. Right. And accept. Yeah. Acceptance. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely things that I wanted to do different, but, you know, it is a classic coming of age story. Mm -hmm. It is fish out of water. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I had to add 
a high level of humor to it so that it was not seen as a an attack yeah, you know sure. or preachy so i i really tried hard to do some things that were hopefully laugh out loud funny that you can just like if you were reading wimpy kid there were like scenes hopefully like that that was just oh that was just plain silly um and i i made sure that there was nothing traumatic that happens because again there are a lot of books that do that very well i didn't want the readers um of this to come away with anything that's why my sons were great because when they read it if there were things they were like yeah i really don't like when that happened to drew it made me feel i took it out like so i gave some nuances but i did not want i wanted you to you put it down and you're laughing like, wow, that was a cool book. And then the next day there's still stuff with you. And it's like, wow, yeah, there's some, that there's some stuff in there. Wait a minute. Let me read this a second time. Yeah. And the characters in the book also, you know, they, 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 they've moved, they've developed from when we first meet them in the story and they've gone through some experiences with each other. And by the end of the book, you know, they've all learned some things about themselves as well as about, you know, the friends that these new friends that they that they're making. Right. And, you know, the other thing and and I, I'm, I'm going to say this bluntly, because a lot of times we use words like mainstream and urban mm-hmm. to me. Like um, one of my big things is I wanted to do a black protagonist that white kids could identify with mm-hmm. as because again, with my kids growing up, you know, people never thought twice to giving them, oh, here, here's Percy Jackson. Oh, here, here's, you know, um, Wimpy Kid or Captain Underpants or, you know, any of the millions of books that feature white protagonists and just never thought anything different. Yeah. But there are few books that you ever see um, black families give to white kids like, here, read this, you know, because a, a lot of the books, um, you know, we do a lot of historic, mm. you know, there, there are some very important books on Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass. Right. And then um, you have some great books like the hate you give. Yeah, sure. Mm. You know, Kwame again, Jason Reynolds, mm-hmm. um, Renee Watson, Nick Stone. Um, but as far as like a book that um, even a white kid could look and go, oh, you know, I am Jordan Banks, or I like yeah. that kid, or he could be my friend, because nothing uh, really serious happens, so they are allowed to see him as just a kid, yeah, not the victim of something or the target of something. Just like, you know, I could see sitting down and playing Xbox with him. Sure. And that was what that was what I really wanted to to uh, get out there more than anything. Yeah. Well, you you you've definitely created a portrait of you know a, a kid growing up, and maybe this kid has certain particulars in his background, his experience that um, that other people have to you know take account of. But it is still it's still a kid growing up and trying to figure out his way in a new world. So you, you you've definitely brought that over. Now I want to jump on to talk to you about a couple other things because as usual you do a lot of other things. So um, um, tell us a little bit though about being the co-founder of the Black Comic Book Festival at the Schoenberg, which has grown into probably one of the premier kind of um, comics arts festivals in New York City. Yes. Um, so back in, I think, 2010, um, I, I had a conversation with my buddy, Turtel Only, who lives in Chicago, and we said, hey, wouldn't it be great to do a Black Comic Book Day where a bunch of us across the country had our own individual things to celebrate Black comics? And it's like, yeah, so he did one in Chicago and I did one at Human Bookstore mm-hmm. in Harlem. Sure. And we're expecting yeah, 15, 20 people. We got like 50 people. Yeah. So it's like, wow, that was pretty cool. And Martha Allen, I love her to death. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's do this again next year. So next year we did it again and now we had like 150 people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, wow, we're on to something. The following year, unfortunately, she closed the doors to Human. So I reached out to the Schomburg 
And Deirdre Holman, who worked on staff to Sean Berg, uh, says, well, we'd love to do that, but I'm already talking to John Jennings, uh, oh, yeah. who do an exhibit, his Black Kirby exhibit, yeah. and Dr. Jonathan Gales, who wants to do a more academic approach with panels and discussions. Mm-hmm. But if you guys can kind of, you know, Voltron up yeah. <laughs> and, find, <laughs> and make this big super conference, that's probably the best thing. So that's what we did. You know, we, we did the Power Ranger thing, not to use <laughs> Power Rangers with Voltron. Made this big, you know, megabot. And, um, you know, we went from, I think maybe 1500 people the first year. And then it was like, you know, 3000 the next year. And then maybe in like 2016 or so, we looked and there were like, like 10,000 people. It's crazy. It's gotten crazy. I mean, the, 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 the lines around the block, it was getting a little sketchy in there one year. It was so crowded. Yeah. You know, I went out just to, cause someone had told me, I was like, no, get out of here. And I looked and it looked like the line for black Panther. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And And when I say sketchy, I mean, there were so many people jammed into the Schomburg there that you almost couldn't move. Right. I mean, every floor that had a part of the exhibit on it or part yeah. of the show, uh, and the uh, auditoriums for the panel. Yes. You know, and of course, there is a, there's programming, there's a, a, yeah. a long day. And, and for those who don't know the Black Comfort Festival, it usually, it's, it's, uh, usually in late January, two it's days. It's Martin Luther King weekend. So we actually, oh, no, okay. made Martin Luther King weekend. Mm-hmm. we made it two days to hopefully break the, you know, so that there weren't 10,000 people in one day. So, when we did it in 2017, I think we had like maybe 7,000 one day, 3,000 on Friday. Yeah. So that made it, you know, much better. Um, but yeah, you know, our, the plan with that is to, you know, to educate, uh, the readers and even to educate the artists because with the artists, a lot of times when there's not a lot of opportunity, we're a lot more competitive than we should be. Yeah. And what we wanted to show them is if we grow our industry, there's enough for everybody. So like the proverb, uh, was it a high tide floats all boats? Yep. You know, sure. the higher we get the water, then the higher all of our boats float. And there's enough for me to make money. There's enough for you to make money. As opposed to, you know, I see someone coming over to buy Calvin Reed's book and I jump in front of them and, oh, no, don't, don't buy Calvin Reed's book. You got to buy my book, you know. And well, then so to show that the, the, the um, our fans, listen, this is a financial thing also. So, you know, don't just come over and shake our hands and say, hey, brother, man, you're, you're important to our community and then walk away. Um, if you support us, then that lets the creators make more things, more better yeah. things, you know, and everyone, you know, the literacy rate, we got the kids reading, we get heroes that look like them. Yep. Yep. No, no, it's really an incredible festival. I mean, it's ability to show off the range of, uh, of artists of color, uh, and the stories that they're telling. Uh, there's the panel, the programming and the paneling is really extraordinary. That's where you get artists and, uh, and editors and the like able to talk about and explain where this medium is going and how it relates to the black community. So that's, uh, you've really done a service there. And that, uh, for people who don't know, John Jennings is a great comic book artist himself. Um, the, uh, uh, one of the guys that adapted the Octavia Butler uh, novel into Kindred into a graphic novel. Um, and he does a show on the West Coast at the same time, doesn't he? Yes, the same weekend. Same he weekend. Insane. You say I'm the hardest working guy. John Jennings makes well, me Well, you two are neck and neck. Put it yeah. that way. <laughs> John Jennings is – who also is launching his own graphic novel imprint at imprint. Abrams Comic Art, by the way, if you don't know. And that's uh, Megascope. So that's that's to come. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump through some other things I wanna get. So um, Mama's Boys was uh, a pioneering comic strip. You've ended it. Is it is it done? Or is it, will you return to it at some point? Or yeah, for the time being, I think at least it is done. Um, so I had the three black and white anthologies 
And then a few years ago, specifically for the Schomburg, I had done Mama's Boys in Living Color, mm-hmm. which is the first graphic novel, color graphic novel. But I did that um, to practice for doing New Kid uh, because I, I did that as an experiment to make sure that I could do the, the lettering was legible, the mm-hmm. word balloons, the coloring, all that kind of thing. So once I saw that in print and I liked it, then I knew that, okay, now instead of this 80 page book, I will consult working on this 256 page book <laughs> and that right. I knew what I was doing. So that, that's where that came from. All right. And any more pros, uh, like the offenders? Um, you know, um, so definitely right now I am focused on New Kid 2. Sure. Um, there might be, but, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, I'm really getting used to having uh, the interviews and because with the, the, you know, the starred reviews and the mm-hmm. things like that. So now with interviews and Skyping with classes yeah, and, um, you know, going like I'm going to somewhere at the end of this month, Texas, yeah. I think. Um, Texas book fair. Yeah. Like the Texas teen book, North Texas teen book festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the meltdown comic fest in Northampton. So it's going to be a lot of traveling. Yeah. So, um, I, I now bought a mobile, Wacom tablet so I can draw when I'm on a plane or in the airport. So when I'm not in front of people, I would just be constantly working. So I have to see in this next year what there's even time for. I see. To see if I can even juggle a prose thing or a picture book Mm -hmm. or something like that. But uh, once I get at least, I would say six months under my belt, then I'll know like what's, what, what I'm capable of Mm -hmm. and Push it up. You know, All right. Well, well uh, pushing to the front, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what I think about you, making sure your, your books are seen. Um, uh, this has been a great year for you, man, or I should say it's a beginning of a great year uh, for you and for your book. So, look, I just want to congratulate you. Uh, you're always keeping it real <laughs> and making sure your comics are out there. Um, this is a really great congratulations to you uh, on the book and thanks for being on the show today thank you i like i said i definitely appreciate you because you've been one of my great supporters so you know well i appreciate that (laughs) you got it but look hey i I appreciate your comics and your hard work man so look thanks for being on the show and we'll talk again when your next book comes out you got it thank you all right take care jerry bye-bye